Hey, what's up? My name is Jason. I'm the pastor of Church in the Wild. Thank you for joining us in the wild, where we have sermons, conversations, interests, all the things that make us who we are. Thanks for jumping on here. You matter. Um, I'm so excited to be able to speak with you all. Thank you for, um, thank you all for your prayers. Thank you for, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about your prayers today, but thank you for that. Thank you for the way that you, I think I'm in the wrong spot, but thank you for the way that you prayed for me, prayed with me. Um, you were and are a community and I truly, truly appreciate that. Um, it means the world to me, and it means the world to others who are hurting. I, um, I was talking to our prayer team this week, and we were talking about how just seemingly right now, um, so I had, you know, elephant in the room. I had two strokes uh, two weeks ago. Um, Brian hurt his back last week. Bryce hurt his back this week. Um, and all that that tells me is Easter is going to be amazing. Because you can't, you can't, the devil's tried it before. He should learn. You can't stop God, especially on Easter, right? Like, come on, right? Like, you, you've tried this before. So, man, I'm fired up. Um, I am pumped for Easter. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus beginning again uh, and, and what that means for us and what that, um, how we get to begin again because of Jesus. And so... Uh, I'm really excited about that. I have to make a lot of Easter announcements. We almost never do this, but it is the week before Easter. So uh, this Saturday at 1 p.m. right here, we are doing prayer, practice, and preparation. Okay, so uh, we're going to spend some time together praying. Um, we're going to pray for the people that we're inviting to Easter service. We're going to pray for them by name. Um, hopefully you have been praying for them before that, but we're going to do that together. Um our prayer team leader, Brian, is going to be having a prayer with everyone. We're going to break into teams and pray together. And then we're going to set up on Saturday um, all through here, kids' church. Everything will be set up um, because on Sunday morning, we will have a 9 a.m. and an 11 a.m. And I'm fired up. We've got a really good group of people um, RSVPing to come to, to either services. So I think it's going to be just an incredible day. And... Um, that morning, we will be, um, once again, doing coffee. So, um, something to celebrate there for sure. Uh, we will be having coffee outside, out front. Um, you're allowed to bring it in, though, and drink it in here. So, that's exciting. Um, it was really cool to see that happen. So, um, this is from our kids' church. Easter is one of the most pivotal times to reach out to your community. Uh, there are people who are looking for a place to call home. And one of the best ways to do that is to love the families and the kids that are, are here. Um, so we're looking for Easter. Uh, we're looking for extra help. So we need people to serve and assist the current leaders. So if you are not already serving, we would love for you to jump into this opportunity. Colleen is looking to add at least four volunteers that day. So if you are looking or interested, uh, we have a, a volunteer in the back wearing rabbit ears. All right. So if you see the volunteer wearing the rabbit ears and you're like, hey, I want to help, please speak to her. Uh, we will get you plugged in. And that's a great day to do that. Um, if, you, um, if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 22 Luke chapter 22. Admittedly, this is a bit of a different sermon for me. Um, my, my memory is not quite back where I can stand up, move around, and do something from memory. Um, that's typically how I preach is like, 
Um, I like kind of fill my heart full and then just preach it empty on Sunday. And um, but my my memory's not quite there yet. It's getting closer. I only forget a few people's names every now and then. But um, I'm going to pretty much do my devotional that I went through this week about the Mount of Olives. And I recognize that it is Palm Sunday. Um, and I recognize that typically we do a Palm Sunday service. Um, but um, I just was able to, God was really leading me to this passage and, and showing me uh, things that happened while Jesus prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane, and I really wanted to lean into that. I will say about, um, about Palm Sunday, Jesus, um, if you don't know the story, Jesus sends some disciples. These disciples go to a man and say, hey, we need your donkey. And this man has this incredible amount of faith that he just says, well, what do you need it for? And they say, well, the master needs it. And this man says, here it is, which is similar to like me walking up to you and saying, hey, I need your car. And the reason I need it is because the church needs it. And this man says, okay. And he gives them at like, that's the financial equivalent of owning an animal back in those days. So this man has this incredible faith. Jesus rides in on this donkey um, these disciples start going in front of them. They start singing. They start shouting. Many of them are falling down in worship to him. And there's always some religious person. Um, in this story, the religious person, people say, tell your disciples to be quiet. Um, and I don't know if, if you grew up like me, that's how church was for many people. You know, like, hey, don't celebrate too much. Don't worship too passionately. Don't be too excited. I promised my doctor I'd be calm. Okay. Don't be too into it. Don't be too, you know, and, and that's it. But Jesus says something. He says, if these people don't, don't worship, the very rocks or all of creation will cry out. A good reminder to us, Jesus was for passionate worship. David danced before the Lord. He was for that. His disciples were crying out, and Jesus said, in the power of this moment, if they don't worship, creation will erupt with worship. So it's a good reminder to us from Jesus that, hey, let's be focused on the heart of people. We sang this song, the heart of worship. Let's be focused on that. But then Jesus does something. He weeps. And there's a lot of people who preach a lot of sermons about why Jesus weeps. And typically, most of the time, uh, you know, I, I, heard, um, I heard someone one time preaching and he said, you know, why did Jesus weep? Well, they were, they were, they were worshiping and, and he wasn't happy with the way they were worshiping. And this is what's wrong with contemporary worship. And he just like, I was like, no, dude, you are misreading the Bible right there. That's not it. And, um, we don't really know. We have this idea that Jesus was weeping because he looked at Jerusalem and realized the, the, the magnitude of these people have rejected me. And now they, they've missed this moment in history and time is, they're going to be destroyed. And we, that's the, the closest thing to a biblical reason we read in that text as to why. And he, people will often add their own story into that text and other reasons. But what fascinated me with me was Jesus wept. But this wasn't the only time Jesus wept. This was not like a one-time thing. In fact, Jesus regularly wept which is a good reminder, again, for those of us who are like, you know what, I'm a strong Christian. I don't, I don't explain my emotions. God in human flesh wept, wept multiple times throughout the Bible. His friend was passing, he wept. And we find him weeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. So let's look at, let's look at Luke chapter 22, verse 39. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. 
So we can pause right there and point this out. This was Jesus' custom to go pray at the Mount of Olives. I'm going to talk a little bit about suffering, but I want to point out Jesus prayed before the suffering began. Often we will pray when we're in trouble, and that's a good time to pray. Don't hear me wrong. That's great. But Jesus had this custom of praying, particularly at the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives... um, was there's a garden there called the Garden of Gethsemane, um, and it was an olive garden. So they had breadsticks and they had uh, free salad um, and Zupa Toscana soup. Um, they should be a TikTok of pastor jokes. They're as bad as dad jokes, but we don't get our credit for bad jokes like dads do. Um, and, and he go, this this garden is fascinating because many believe that there is a press there, and they would actually make olive oil there. So Jesus, every time he prayed, knew the symbolism of, I'm going to be pressed and poured out for the world. I'm going to wear the burden of the world on my shoulders, and love is going to pour out of me, and it's going to heal. What do people often heal with in the olden times? Olive oil. So he's going to bear the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's going to be poured out and heal, and his custom was to pray there which is just fascinating. So to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's, stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying, father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose from the prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow and said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you enter not into temptation. So a couple things about this. Um, The disciples missed an opportunity to be an eyewitness to Jesus praying as the son to the father. The only reason we have this recorded is either after he rose, Jesus told them what he said, or the Holy Spirit told them when they wrote it down. So they missed that opportunity as they were sleeping. And I wonder how many times we miss something God has for us because we we don't want to be in the garden when everything's pressed down. We don't want to be in a hospital bed. We don't want to have friends and loved ones pass away. We have someone who a friend they knew was, was hit on their way to church and a hit and run and killed. We don't want that. We have people getting hurt. We have all these things. We don't want the, the, the press of the world. But they missed out on this prayer. They missed seeing what Jesus was going to say. So he either told them, um, and I think it's important to point out that he was not murdered. Jesus was not murdered. I think that's... That's a, a thing that people say sometimes, and I, I think we say it meaning well, but we, Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. No one took his life. It wasn't like he was hiding in the garden, and this is a new place for him to hide. How would Judas know he was there except for it was his custom to go pray there? He was not hiding. He willingly laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus prayed there regularly, and that's how Judas knew where he was. In fact, there's, um, there's some, some um, uh, historians who say that you can see the Mount of Olives, you can see Jerusalem. So he would have literally been able to watch them come for a long ways on foot and walk up to him. He was not running or fleeing. He gave his life. 
So let's look at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, and uh, we'll go through this passage and then, because um, I think Matthew's version gives us a little bit more detail. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. This is verse 30, 37. And taking with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. I just point out to you how open Jesus is in this moment. Jesus is telling the very people that he created, who he knows are about to abandon him, I'm very sorrowful, even so much that I feel like I'm going to die. If you struggle with depression, this is a passage for you. Jesus didn't struggle with that depression alone. He had community with him as he struggled. I'm about to cry. All right. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus wanted community in his, in his suffering. If you think about it, he craved community in his final moments where he could have been alone. In the middle of his suffering, Jesus admitted that he was depressed, admitted it, and then asked for community. And then the disciples neglected him and he asked for it again. And then they neglected him and he asked for it again. But what does that tell us? It tells us that we need community. We need it. God in human flesh in the Garden of Gethsemane needed people and a community. And we are not Jesus. It would be blasphemous for us to write ourselves into Jesus into this passage. We are far more likely Peter or Judas or one of the other disciples or the Roman soldiers. But if Jesus needs community, how much more so do you need community? We cannot be afraid to ask for help in our suffering. You cannot fear. It is, it is either arrogance or insecurity or someone who is whispering lies into your ears that tells you when you're suffering, do it alone. You don't need help. Jesus asked for help over and over and over again. And guess what? They failed him over and over again, and he asked them again and again. We need community. Some will never ask for community. Some say they don't need it. But then we often wonder why, why, why we will lie and say we don't need it or we won't ask for it. And then we get upset when people don't treat us the way that we want them to treat us. Are they supposed to assume that we're a liar? 
Is that what you want people to believe? So we're at we're, we, I wake up on uh, two Fridays ago. I'm trying to answer an email. All of a sudden, my neck just goes this way, just gives out, just like falls over on its side. And I'm like, what just happened? So that was, that's the first stroke. So the second one happens like five seconds later when all of a sudden all my vision in my left side, my left hand goes numb, my left foot goes numb, and all of a sudden um, everything is getting real weird on me. So I go and because, because I'm, I'm preaching to myself in this, I decide that I can handle this by myself and I'll be fine and that I just have a pinched nerve or I slept weird. So I decide the best thing to help me, not knowing that this is a stroke, is a cup of coffee because coffee heals everything. So I literally went and poured myself two shots of espresso thinking it would fix the problem. My wife wakes up because I am slapping my face to try to wake it up. And then she looks at me, I turn and look at her and she realizes there's something really wrong with him. Half of his face is down. So she begins to try to get help. And I begin to text everyone that she's getting help from to tell them, no, I'm fine, I'm just tired. This is what I'm talking about. Jesus, as God, sought community when he needed it. And we as humans, as a church, need each other, especially in our suffering. We need each other when we suffer more than when we don't. That's not the time. I literally texted Jesse, who is a nurse. Ha ha, half my body is numb. Ha ha, Sam thinks I need to go to the doctor. Laugh out loud. I think that's funny and I'll be fine. My wife had to take my phone because she sent my family a message saying, please pray for Jason. He had a stroke. I replied to my family while she was parking. Now I'm fine. I just need to go to bed. That's not okay. We need community. You need each other. I need you and you need me. We need each other in this moment. Even when we let each other down, we need each other. But I want to point out that Jesus didn't only seek community. And this is where the world is truthfully better than Christians at being a community. Sadly, we, sh we can learn from the world. Churches can learn from CrossFit how to be a community, truthfully. But Jesus also needed spiritual help. And can we just talk for a minute about this? If... Um, Community is not this, okay? Community is not simply quoting a scripture to someone or saying you're going to pray for them and then moving on. That's not community, okay? Um, community is being there with the person in, this, in the suffering. The, the plan the disciples had was like, yeah, we're with you. Okay, now we're going to bed. The plan that most of the religious people in the world have is like, praying for you, but do we actually pray? Do we come alongside of? Do we partner with each other when they're hurting? When someone says to us, hey, I need help, do we help them? Are we there? It's a wonderful thing to, to say you're praying. It's a better thing to pray, and it's an even better thing to pray and be in that suffering with the person. Um, this is, this is, um, you know, even worse is when we just give advice to a person as a way of thinking we're doing them a favor, their hearts broken by, by, uh, ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend. And we try to give them dating advice thinking we're doing them a favor. That's not doing them a favor. That's just being lazy. 
you know, we, we, we try to do them a favor by, hey, let me tell you what you did wrong. This is why you lost your job. Let me tell you how to be better at your job. That's not community. Even, even offering to heal someone. Like, we believe that God performs miracles. I'll talk about it at the end of this. I firmly believe that I'm only preaching because God works miracles. But often there are some believers who will say, you know what? You're healed and move on and not be a part of a community, and that's not enough. We need to be there with each other. We had a friend who had a different problem with his heart, and someone who, well-intentioned, put their hand on him and, and, and tried to heal him, but, they, but it, he wasn't healed in the way they thought he should be healed. And so they got mad at him and began to deride him for not having faith because if he had faith, he would never go to a doctor ever again. And the man felt worse because of the members of his church than he, than he did before he went to them and asked for prayer. I'm not, God heals and we should pray for healing. But we also should be there with each other in the moment. We should be physically a community as well. However, Jesus also sought spiritual help. This is where the church needs to understand something. We need to improve. Christians need to improve at being a community. Jesus, the Bible says if someone comes to you and they're hungry or they're poor or they're broken and they're needy and you say, I'm praying for you, go in peace and don't do anything for them, it would have been better off if they never met you. That's what the Bible says. Right? We need to be community, but Jesus also sought the Father and he was ministered to by angels. And the world is really good at community. But when it comes down to it, what you need spiritual help as well. When you're suffering, you need more than just a friend. You need God. And that's part of why we have, the, we have a prayer team. At, at our church, we have a prayer team that will intercede for you. And I've heard them do it. And I've been a part of it while they do it. And you're suffering and people are, are praying and upholding you and praying with you. We're praying for Bryce right now. Bryce hurt his back yesterday and couldn't be here today. And our prayer team got together on their message and they were praying for him. But it's also why we have a care team. So Brian runs our prayer team. Sherry runs our care team. We want to be spiritually helping and we want to be a community as well so that when someone suffers, they have food and they have love and they have comfort and care and they have spiritual help. And that was Jesus' plan. Community with his disciples, but he's going to go and talk to the Father as well. This is what separates us from the world. We are not Disney. There are some churches that are really good at community. But when it boils down to it, they don't even really know your name, much less can they pray for you in person. And so we need spiritual help in the moment and community. And Jesus perfectly sought out both in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's being poured out. He's being crushed by the weight of the world. He's seeking community from his disciples and asking God for spiritual help. That's what we do when we go through suffering. When you're in the garden, you need both. You need both. So I want then, if we look at Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, we'll read the last um, longer version of this, of this passage, and then uh, we'll apply the, the ending. Mark chapter 14, verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. 
he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. So you see it again. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. So we see and again that Jesus is asking them for help. Going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. You can imagine Jesus, if you have children, as your child saying, Dad, take this weight off of me. Uh, we, I, know, I know a pastor who had a fence fall on his granddaughter while he was with her and she was bleeding and she cried out literally like Jesus' moment, Papa, help me. This is what Jesus is doing in this moment. Dad, help me, please. Remove this cup. Then he says this, yet not what I will, but what you will. Came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Interesting that he points out Peter in here. He goes to Peter. Why? Because Peter's the one he's going to build a church on. The greater relationship you have, the more responsibility you need to bear. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you'd enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is trying to get them so that they understand, hey, you need prayer so that you don't give in to the temptation that you're going to face in just a little while. You need prayer as much as I do. And again, he went and prayed and prayed and sang the same words. He came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. He came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping, taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus, even in the midst of this horrible suffering, and even as he asks the disciples for help, he's concerned that they pray so they don't enter into temptation. What a God we serve. The weight of the world on his shoulders, he's concerned for you. That's who we serve. But I want to point this out. Jesus was fully God, praying purely in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Father's answer was still no. It's very important. The Bible says that sometimes we ask amiss and God doesn't answer because we ask to consume it on our lust. Now, we typically think like of lust in America as like a word to do with um, our, our flesh, right? But the, the Bible has it more of like our, our appetites. It's all of who we are. So sometimes we pray and ask God for things so that we can be the one who gave the answer so we can be proud of the fact that it was us and God doesn't answer those. But sometimes we truly, purely pray, like Jesus is here, and God still said, this cup's not being removed. He's praying in the power of the Holy Spirit, and God says, no, we're not removing the cup. Sometimes the Father takes the cup, but sometimes you need it. Jesus prayed regularly, thy will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. A lot of times we'll pray, God, you must do this. I insist because I have the power of Jesus and I'm praying through the Holy Spirit, so it has to be done. But we got to ask ourselves as we pray prayers like that, and I'm for big prayers. We say regularly here, pray so big that it terrifies you. I'm for faith. I'm for big prayers, remembering whose will it is at the end of the day. So I'm in this, um, I'm in this emergency room. And I've got to go into this MRI. And I don't want to because I'm stubborn. So my wife's, trying, my wife's crying. 
There's a doctor on a screen telling me I need to. There's two nurses asking me to, and I'm saying, no, I'm going home. I don't need the MRI. I'm fine. Real brave. Anyways, my wife is finally crying, and that's my wife wins anytime she cries. So I'm like, okay, well, let's do this. So I go to get in this MRI tube. I'm claustrophobic. I'm in there. And they're playing Christian music. And I'm still like, I, I, my, half my body's numb and I'm feeling awful. And, and they start playing Waymaker. They start playing Waymaker. And I start praying. And I start dancing. And then the lady tells me, you have to hold still, Mr. Williams. I'm like, right. Like, I'm in there like, whoa, Waymaker. Like, no, no, just calm down, sir. And um, so I start praying. And I start telling God, God, I don't have time for this, especially at Easter, especially after coronavirus, especially with the four-year-old. I don't have time for this. Take it away. And I'm praying and I'm like, God, I need you to remove this, make this way, move mountains, move this thing, get rid of it. God, I want to go into this with them saying I had a stroke, but when I get to the hospital, I want them to say, nope, you never did. God, do this for me, please. And I'm having a moment and I'm beginning to feel better. There's churches all over. Literally, I find out the world. I have a video of a church from India praying for me by name, which just gives me goosebumps every time. It's like amazing. And I start feeling better in this tube to the point of when I get out, the nurse is like, whoa, you're way better. And I said, yeah, yeah, God is the way maker. I'm going to be fine. This is not going to be, the stroke's going to be, I'm like, I'm confident. I have full faith in God at this point that this is happening. They take me to the hospital. I get to the doctor. He pulls up the scan and he says to me, oh, it didn't look like you have a stroke. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, looks like you had two. And it crushed me. Truthfully, it crushed me because I thought this is my way of God is moving mountains, moving miracles. I'm, it crushed me. I couldn't figure out why. I was very, very distraught. But here's what I learned. If I didn't have the two strokes, they never would have done this one test. And that test was, they figured out that I have a hole in my heart that I've had since birth. And this hole in my heart, if it gets fixed, will make sure that the, this won't ever happen again. So I won't have one when I'm in my 50s or 60s, prayerfully. And if it does, it, I, I, I am at the best age to ever have this happen is what they told me. I literally walked out of the hospital. Um, they let me get up and walk out. Here's what I figured out. If I didn't have the strokes, I wouldn't know about the hole in my heart. Now, please hear me on this. Cause I, I'm not saying I'm not trying to correlate myself to Jesus, but we're going to stand up for this. Cause I'm getting excited now. If Jesus didn't go in the garden and suffer the weight of the world and had the father not answered that right there and had Jesus not been willing to say, not my will, but thine, you and I would still have a hole in our heart today. There would be no salvation the way that we view it today. Sometimes God takes it away and sometimes he performs the miracle that we ask for and sometimes he performs a different miracle. 
We just have to ask him sometimes to see it because sometimes we have all the faith in the world and we're praying for something, but we're praying for things that is not what God has in store. God saw you in the garden. You in the garden with a hole in your heart that God saw and Jesus saw and the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus to say, not my will but thine, and to go and die on a cross to fix the God-sized hole in all of our hearts thousands of years later. This is what the garden is about. It is about our salvation. And what is our salvation? It is Jesus being willing to die on a cross to pay the punishment for our sins to make us whole again. That's salvation. That's God. That's who we serve. And sometimes in your life, you're going to have a problem and it's not going to be what you want and you might not get the outcome you asked for because God has a better outcome for you. God, yes, made a way. Yes, I begged him to feel better and I did. But he also showed me, son, you have a bigger problem than you think you have. You're worried about your hand being numb so you can't text anymore? Really? What happens if you're driving down the road and you have your daughter and this happens? What happens if you're trying to work out and keep up with Jesse, which you already know you can't do, but you're trying to anyways, and this happens? What happens if you're years older and this happens? I'm going to fix this in a better way than you thought was possible. And sometimes we have to pray, God, your will be done. The lesson from the garden, suffering sometimes has a point. So sometimes we beg God to take away the suffering, and sometimes he does, but we miss the point. It's worth the garden for salvation. Jesus endured the garden for you, to save you, to solve the hole in your heart and in my heart. Because the truth is, we are all lost without him. I know this is not a popular thing to preach anymore. We don't really do things the way we're told to do things around here. I don't know if you know that. We're lost without him. There's a thing called sin and every one of us sins. Now they may all look a little bit different, but we all sin and we all need salvation. And Jesus is the only way to that. He is our salvation. He is our savior. You cannot achieve salvation. You cannot fix the hole in your heart on your own. I can eat all the healthy food I want, exercise twice a day like I was doing before this, and be on a diet for the last 10 years, and I can't fix the hole in my heart. You know what I have to do? I have to be willing to be sedated and let them put a a thing in my vein and run it up and fix this hole in my heart. We need to be humble enough to lie flat on our back and let the good physician heal our suffering. And only he can. So would you stand to your feet with me? We're going to worship again here in just a minute. I know this is different, um, but I'm going to ask you if you would just grab hands with someone beside you or hold hands with someone or lift your hands, however you, you choose to do that. Um, Jesus said to pray, or the Bible says to pray everywhere with holy hands lifted up, but I'm for you holding hands with somebody else.
unless you're dating them. Um, then don't. No, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> when I was growing up, you were not allowed to. At this point in the church, if you were dating, they were like, no. <laughs> like, I'm praying purely, I promise. Um, would you pray with someone? We're going to pray for a couple things. We're going to pray for each other. We need community more than ever. It's a broken, hurting world, and we need each other. You don't know who's going through what. So we're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray for Easter, for God to do an amazing thing through all this suffering. And we're going to pray that God reveals to us his will in our suffering. Whatever you're going through, seek his will. Ask him, what is your will in this? What are you trying to teach me? If it's possible, remove it. I have faith that you can, but if not, teach me what lesson I need to learn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. I feel so blessed to be able to preach in here earlier than I was told I could. At one point, hey, you might never preach again, and now I'm preaching. Thank you. God, for those who are hurting, comfort them. Help us as a church to be the community, and we ask you to provide the spiritual help. Lord, we pray for Easter. Pray for that person who right now is thinking about coming. We ask that you will open doors and make a way. You are the way maker. Bring them here. Father, we ask that we would see things in your will. We ask that we don't lose our faith, but that our faith is boldened and strengthened. And we pray so big that it terrifies us at times, but we are willing to seek you and your will above all on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this all in Jesus' name.